You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to an emergency pod. I think it's probably an emergency pod. I'm not sure I'm ready to yell, um, but I, I would say this is probably an emergency pod. We are giving you a podcast at a time we don't normally give you a podcast. Recording now at uh, 12.25 here Central Time on Saturday. As you, I would assume, already know, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and Jabari Parker have split ways. The Bucks announced this morning that they've reached an agreement for the team to rescind its qualifying offer, um, and immediately after, Jabari Parker and the Bulls agreed to a two-year, $40 million deal, with the second year of that deal being a team option. And uh, I guess as as we go through all these things, uh, we, we like to think of ourselves as good readers of CBA FAQ. And I think today we might have learned something new. Um, we were we were talking about this in the past, you know, how long a, a deal needs to be if there's an offer sheet uh, and why the Bucks would, you know, rescind that, that qualifying offer. And to us, it was because, oh, you know, you need to guarantee two years. But if you read CBA FAQ, it does not say anything about guaranteeing two years. It just says that, it has to be two years long. So that second year could be non-guaranteed as long as the first year is guaranteed. Uh, so by rescinding it, that turned it into a team option instead of non-guarantee for Jabari Parker, which, I mean, is a negligible difference, but that's essentially what happened. And that, do you have any other, any other thoughts on the details? I want to get the details out of what happened first, and then we can kind of parse through all of this, Frank. But I think that that kind of covers it. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, the Chicago Bulls are paying Jabari Parker a ton of money next year to play basketball, and they will have the option of paying him an absolute ton of money to play basketball the year after. And I think the one thing we can be clear of is that the Milwaukee Bucks were not interested in in doing the same, and uh, therefore, you know, we're, we've seen the end of the Jabari Parker in Milwaukee, which I think, you know, will go down as as probably one of the most disappointing you know, tenures for, for any Bucks player in, in franchise history when you look at, you know, the expectation coming in and the the pedigree and hype that came with it. And then obviously just the the complete lack of payoff for, for a number of reasons. And obviously the fact that he's now departing with the Bucks having nothing to show for it. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think regardless of how you feel about, you know, I think, I think what we'll talk about a lot is there's a big difference between how we view the Jabari Parker era and how we view the decision of the last, you know, 12 hours by the Bucks to to essentially confirm that they are going to let Jabari Parker go and sign with another team. They're, they're very different to, to things to analyze, um, but obviously that's the goal of what we're going to try to get through today of, of picking through, you know, was the right decision made in the last 24 hours? Were the right decisions made in the last 24 months, in the last 48 months, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and obviously, depending on sort of the 
the aperture you're using, um, you can come to very different conclusions. And I think I'm certainly in the camp of, you know, I, I view the, the, the lengths of time that we view sort of the Jabari Parker decisions with, um, I view them very differently and the context is really important. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I think o- overwhelmingly, this is just a, a sad outcome Yeah, and to me yeah. that, that, I, I don't have anger. To me, it's it's sadness at this moment because I just think you think back to Jabari Parker at the Milwaukee public market and how much excitement there was that day. And then two days later, Larry Drew, the guy who introduced him at that press conference, is out. Jason Kidd is in. Uh, and then you have Jabari's first year. He gets hurt during it. Then you have his great comeback. And you have that third year you know, that everyone is going to circle those 50 games where it's 20 points, six rebounds, couple assists, like you have that. And then you have that second injury and uh, you just think about how things were probably lining up. Like you, you go all the way back to Chris Middleton, signed him up to an early extension next year, sign Giannis up to an early extension, all good there. And then Jabari would have been right in line after that, that huge third year, lining up for an extension, could get that done, and instead, second ACL tear, same knee, and you just, you you don't really ever get to figure out exactly how it all would have gone, and we're going to get into a lot of the things that went on, and uh, obviously, I already mentioned Jason Kidd, we'll get into that a little bit, but I just find myself thinking, like, this is sad. I, I feel bad for Jabari Parker that this happened. I feel bad for the Milwaukee Bucks that this happened to the organization, that you have a second overall pick and it doesn't work out. You have these these monster injuries. And, I mean, you think through kind of what happened with the Sixers. Embiid had all those injuries, and now he's, I mean, he's the face of the franchise. He's one of the best young stars in the league. And those injury concerns are still there. They're, they're not going anywhere. But for them – those injuries that happened and now it's kind of worked out and they're going through it. And that same thing didn't happen with Jabari Parker. And I just can't help, but feel, feel bad for the kid. Like it, it's brutal that his first four years were marred in such a way with such bad injuries. Yeah. It's ironic to look back. I mean, you know, the first two picks in the 2014 draft, Andrew Wiggins, I, I would rather let Jabari Parker walk than have Andrew Wiggins for $30 million a year. Yes. Um, so both teams, the, 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 the Timberwolves, who obviously acquired Wiggins from Cleveland in the love trade, um, and the Bucks ended up with very different, but I'd say almost comparably terrible out, outcomes. Because yeah. basically Andrew Wiggins is now, you know, chucking shots and taking away touches from far superior players than Jimmy Butler and, and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, and, you know, that contract is, is uh, you could argue, has negative value. I think they could probably trade that contract because, again, you could always find a team like, you know, a dumb team like like the Kings or Bulls who I think would just absorb it and just take the chance, you know. Um, but that, I think, we'll look back as not really working out for for the uh, for the Wolves and the Bucks. obviously. You know, again, like um, – I, I, if I'm the Bucks, I would not want to pay Jabari Parker twenty million dollars a year. I don't care sort of over what time horizon we're talking about. Yep. And I think, um, you know, I think the Bulls ended up getting certainly very favorable terms in in terms of the years, right? Which is critical. Um, that this, you know, was as we've talked about the 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 options and length of this deal was in many ways going to be always more important than maybe even the dollar 
the dollar value behind it. Um, and uh, but I think for the Bucks, you know, this is the exclamation point on just really. I mean, it's really like a broader, you know, organizational failure when you think about the Jabari Parker experience. And you know, I think you just trace it back. Obviously, yeah. I mean, obviously at this point, certainly getting Embiid would have, you know, I mean. Again, I don't think the Bucks are ever winning a championship, you know, in, in the near future. If you pick Embiid, suddenly your odds are dramatically higher, you know. But ironically, the the guy who everybody thought was the biggest injury risk and who for two years didn't even play a game of basketball is now the no-brainer guy. And the guy that the Bucks picked to avoid that injury risk ended up having, you know, arguably even worse injury um you know, issues than, than Embiid did. And we'll see, right? I mean, it's, it's possible Joel Embiid breaks down next year and his career is dramatically shortened. Um, it's possible Jabari Parker plays another 12 years in the league and, you know, he's totally fine. Hopefully that that happens for Jabari. Um, but obviously at this point, you know, we closed the the book on, on Jabari. And, um, I think, you know, I, I've, if, if it's okay with you, I I've got my list because I've, there's been tons of um, emotion and opinions and takes, um, certainly on Bucks Twitter and Bucks fan, the sort of Bucks Nation in general. Um, and so what I did was I created a list of reasons to be legitimately angry today and reasons to not be legitimately angry today. Can w- w- do you have anything else you wanted to go hit, kind of hit before we go, or, or can I jump into my list? Because at some point I think this sort of gets to a lot of the fundamental kind of history and decision making that 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 was involved in in getting us to where we are. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything else other than I hope that Jabari Parker has a long, healthy career. I think that the, that the odds are against that, right? And even if even if you do want to say a torn ACL on the same knee, freak injury, you know, who knows that it, you know, lightning striking the same place twice, whatever you want to say. Like any, any of those things, you can say, you know, it's not going to happen again. Well, it might happen again. And because it's happened in the past, there's a higher chance of it happening in the future. So um, I do think that uh, if I were an NBA team and I had assigned Jabari Parker to a contract, I would be very specific with the language that contract used. Uh, And I would be very afraid of going any type of long-term deal without those protections in place, which is why I think you, you saw the Chicago Bulls sign him to a deal where it was a one-in-one where they got that option in year two, only have to guarantee one year of that contract. Like I, I just think as, as thinking of Jabari Parker in, in a larger sense, you look at that contract that the Bulls gave him and it makes a lot of sense. Like that speaks to kind of what the situation is with Jabari. So um, like you said, I I'm really hoping that, He's able to have a long, healthy career because he does a number of great things in the community. Uh, he seems, for you know, all intents and purposes, to be a good person. Um, I, I don't think anyone would really argue that. Now, it, does some of that stuff not maybe carry over to the basketball court? Yeah, I think there's some conversations to be had there, and we can get into that. But I do think you know he's a good person off the floor. He does great stuff in the community. I hope he makes a. a, a a whole bunch of money and he's able to uh, hopefully give a lot of that money back to the city of Chicago because that is something that he's been very clearly passionate about here in the city of Milwaukee, helping out the city and helping out, uh, you know, Milwaukee public schools. Like I hope he's able to do a number of those same things in Chicago and I hope his career works out and he's able to do a lot of good in this world. 
Yeah, for sure. And and I think what made the last, especially the last few months, especially problematic is that the dichotomy between Jabari Parker, the person and who the Bucks had on the court and interacting with teammates and speaking to the media, I think diverged in a way that was, I guess, to, to borrow a word from earlier in the podcast, sad. Um, Cause yeah. I don't think there's any question that Jabari is a, a person who really does try to make a difference and especially in kids' lives and, you know, keep, community matters to him. He obviously, I think legitimately did embrace Milwaukee. Um, you know, him showing up at the park or whatever the other night uh, may have also been partly spectacle. But, um, you know, Jabari has done that in, uh, before in Chicago and elsewhere, um, just showing up randomly and playing basketball with people. Um, but, um, yeah, so let me let me get so let's start with um, I mean, everybody loves to be mad when things happen. So let me start with the things that you can be legitimately mad about. And we I think this will probably cover off a lot of the the topics that, that kind of come come with this. Um so if you're a Bucks fan and you need to be mad, and I think Bucks fans always like to, to have something to be mad about, right? So uh, um, the, uh, turning a number two overall pick into nothing four years later, yes, that you can def- definitely be mad about. As I said, the, the Jabari Parker era essentially leading to nothing. Um, you know, while Jabari was here, you know, he obviously I think put up some some really solid and at times. Um, really promising offensive numbers um, in terms of scoring, developing his outside shot, becoming an efficient scorer. Um, certainly dunks, highlights were, were, were never in shortage. Um, but we've often talked about, you know, he never got to the point of, of being a winning basketball player, right? His on-off numbers were always bad. Um, you know, the, the Giannis lineups in particular was obvious that he didn't make sort of Giannis-Chris lineups better. There was obviously a lot of overlap there. Um, and, you know, some of that's just, random right I mean you know when the Bucks I mean it's crazy right in in a five-week span the Bucks drafted Giannis and acquired Chris Middleton in the summer of 2013 five years later that's pretty much the entire Bucks like asset base still yeah I mean remarkably little sort of progress in that since then and that really starts with Jabari because you know every basically the post Giannis drafts have been just like some massive mean regression. It's like the basketball gods just basically saying you can't have nice things um, or you can have one amazingly perfect thing and then everything else is going to suck or something. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, look at look at the 2014 draft. I mean, Jesus, Jabari at number two, uh, Damian Inglis at what was it, 31 and Johnny O'Brien at 36. I mean, O'Brien and, and Inglis were gone. You know, uh, now it feels like an eternity ago. They They were dropped. Um, you know, after a couple of years, Jabari's now gone. Um, and that obviously started just a, um, just a series of obviously very, very bad draft picks by the Bucks. Rashad Vaughn already gone. Number 17 in 2015, Thon number 10 in 2016, obviously still hope that Thon may kind of figure it out, you know, can playoff Thon be converted into something that shows up more than twice a year. That would be great. Um, but he's been, you know, I mean, that's the irony, right? Like adding Brooke Lopez in many ways is is positive because if you can if you just bench Thon Maker this year and knew you weren't going to get last year's Thon, you'd be a dramatic. You'd win a few extra games because that's how bad Thon was last year. Now hopefully he just gets better, but but obviously that's a question. And then 2017, obviously DJ Wilson. You know, again, fingers crossed. You hope that DJ Wilson kind of figures some things out. He's had some moments in Vegas. We will see, right? But that obviously that pick is looking like it's a write-off. It has no value in terms of trades at this point. It's extremely and, necessary to indeed cross your fingers on it. Yes, and then Dante Divincenzo. Who knows, right? I mean, I I didn't. You know, I think we talked about not 
not loving that pick, let's say. Um, but whatever, he's played 11 minutes, and you know we'll we'll let him actually play some basketball before we try to you know um, just be negative and de- decide he's bad because <laughs> I hope he's not, and he may very well be still a good role player. But anyway, um, you know you had Malcolm Brogdon is basically that second round pick that the the one guy along with again hopefully Sterling Brown that maybe turn into guys who can actually become rotation players long term. Um, but obviously the draft has just been essentially a massive just waste for the Bucks since the since the Giannis pick and and Jabari is is the poster boy I mean he was the number two overall pick you know we, we spent an entire season dreaming of you know getting Wiggins Parker and Bede and you finally got your guy and and obviously he basically meant nothing to the franchise in terms of wins right I mean he played in a handful of playoff games and was you know bickering through a couple of them and then started playing better and now he's gone right a couple months later um so, so that I think in general, I mean, that, that's a there was a lot of bad luck involved there, certainly with Jabari and the injuries, um, but also just I, I think a lot of I think it's just a broader organizational failure. I think the only people that come out clean in this are Sookie Hobson and the performance staff. Like they're great, they did an amazing job with Jabari. Yep. <laughs> everybody else, everybody else has has questions to answer because you know you look at hit the start of Jabari's tenure and. You know, especially when Jason Kidd was fired, a lot of the rumors and murmurs that have been going around for years about Kidd basically using Parker as a scapegoat for their defensive problems. Just wait. We're, we're yeah. going to talk about Jason Kidd. That's okay. n- that's number two on your things to be mad about yeah. list. So yeah. I want to talk first about uh, number two overall pick turning into essentially nothing four years later. And uh, I think one thing that I want to talk about there is that uh, where it gets interesting and where I think your anger can go. Um, to me, I, I want to make sure that we say number two overall pick and not Jabari Parker, because I, I think as you go through Jabari Parker and you think about the injuries that he's had and his problems on defense, uh, his attitude in the playoffs this year, his attitude at times uh, throughout those four years, like I, I think, those are a number of reasons why four years later you you didn't get anything out of it because there was some problems there. But the idea, I think, of a number two pick turning into nothing, like you said, there has to be some organizational failure there. Like you did, you did have to do something wrong that you were not able to get anything out of it. Um, but I, I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable in just saying that, you know, you can be mad about that because I, I do think the circumstances that led to Jabari Parker leaving for nothing are pretty clear, right? Like he had an injury history. He had questions on the floor. Uh, and then his, I mean, it, it is kind of strange to think just how damaging the last month of the season and that playoff series was to, I think around the league um, and here in Milwaukee to kind of his, I don't, I don't know if image is the right word, but just the way people perceive them, like the, at that point, okay, you know, maybe, you know, you have the, the injury issues and the defense issues, but at least he's still trying hard or at least like he, he is going out there and giving it his best. Then in that final month, you had a number of those questions. So, um, I do think, I don't, I don't know. I, I struggle with all of this because having nothing for a number two pick four years later sucks. Like yeah. it is absolutely a terrible outcome, and when you think about everything that went into you know 
just the idea of while wow, the Bucks haven't had this top pick in forever, and now they're going to get it, and it's going to be a special player. It, it, this it, and it, it happened in that draft, right, where those three guys all looked like franchise changers, and now you have nothing to show for it. So uh, I think you absolutely can be mad about it. Um, I would just caution that I think there's a level of nuance that goes into any of this uh that you know i think there are clear reasons why they do have nothing for it but it still absolutely sucks that they got nothing for the number two pick four years later yeah and i think um part of the story and ironically as we were recording um mark stein who kind of is well known as the um jeff schwartz jason kid mouthpiece uh side you know like when when certainly when mark was breaking things about the bucks previously it was largely presumed that sort of where, where he was getting a lot of information he, he t- not surprisingly he, he uh tweeted something out um that uh is is not favorable to the uh, current bucks administration he said the bucks always resisted calls to trade jabari parker which is what jason kidd wanted and always scoffed at suggestions that he wasn't a fit alongside Giannis Adetokounmpo. Now they've lost a former number two of our pick without compensation. Not how you expected Parker's tenure in Milwaukee to end. All, as far as I know, all of that is factual, but it is kind of ironic, of course, um, coming from Mark Stein, who's obviously a great, great journalist. But you know, consider sources, right? It's yes. always always interesting, and that leads into, I think the the Jason kids. Are, are we good going to the Jason yep. kids side of it? Because I think. I think they're really it's it's really interesting because I think there there's a um, action and then a reaction aspect to the Parker tenure and I think what I, I think it's it's irresponsible to speak of one without the other and by that I mean the environment let's say that Jabari Parker was in during the Jason Kidd era and then the very negative I would say. Um, uh, environment that Parker himself created in many ways over those last couple months of the season, even after Jason Kidd was gone, which I think probably pay, I think probably played a, a very significant role in the Bucks clearly deciding to move on from from Jabari Parker. Um, and I think again, I don't. I think there's no nobody looks good uh, when you look at this, right? Because you've got Jason Kidd, who obviously sucked, um, and you know by many accounts was just a bad person um, and yep. seemed to, you know, again, scapegoat Jabari Parker and, and Jabari Parker had obviously has had and still has obviously very clear flaws defensively. And it's very clear, always, yes. always difficult to reconcile kind of him being a very conscientious person with the fact that he doesn't seem to have any clue what he's doing defensively or I don't know. I mean, at times just, I mean, again, I've I've often faulted him as like a fake hustle guy. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's. I don't know. I think I think certainly they've evolved into something else these these last few months of the season. But clearly, nineteen year old Jabari being put into a situation with Jason Kidd was was a bad thing for Jason. Uh, was a bad thing for Jabari Parker's development. Um, and we can talk about you know all the stuff about not wanting Jabari to shoot threes and and things like that, which are kind of more like you know. I don't want to say minutia, but but that's really more just like stylistic stuff. I think just generally alienating Jabari seeming to sort of you know blame him for the Bucks issues which obviously the Bucks defense sucked even after Jabari was hurt as well so you know um, Jason Kidd doesn't get to use Jabari as a scapegoat for that but um, but there was obviously Jason Kidd was was obviously not the right coach for this team and and clearly was never going to be the right coach for Jabari Parker and yet at the same time the Bucks as a franchise as Mark Stein was just alluding to 
obviously never traded Jabari Parker. They never got to the point where they were willing to make a decision of like, okay, if you're going to have this coach who seemingly just wants to get rid of Jabari Parker, are you going to make a decision at some point? How are you going to balance these things? And it seemed like the Bucks tried to have it both ways for a long time. And ultimately now, you know, they suffered through longer, a longer tenure of kid than, than they probably should have. And now Parker is gone as well. And I would say that it's probably not a coincidence that despite Jason Kidd get, got, getting fired, that everything, and, and the injuries are obviously part of this as well, but, you know, everything just added up to Jabari Parker feeling like he was not really a part of this team, um, not needed. I mean, Jabari Parker said, like, they'll be fine without me, right? That was, like, pretty much an exact quote that he said at one point last during last season. And he was, and I, I mean, we talked about it. I said, he's right. Like, the Bucks. You know, especially with with Jabari being in when he was injured, like they don't really need that version of Jabari Parker, especially in the starting five where he just kind of, you know, didn't fit necessarily. Um, And so it set up a really awkward situation because Jabari Parker came back last year as a guy who seemed like he had been through some shit. (laughs) He seemed like a guy who uh, was was disillusioned about his role in this franchise. And I don't know. I don't know how much, you know, I mean, the fact that Giannis was justifiably the, the you know, golden child of the organization, the fact that, in particular of Kid, that he was Kid's guy, obviously, and understandably so, but, but you know, to the point where obviously he was not just preferring Giannis, but, but also sort of vilifying Jabari, it seemed. Um, it seemed like there was a wedge between Jabari and, and probably the rest of the team to a degree that obviously you know, I wonder if it, if it was really how repairable it was. And when he then comes back, and I mean, I just think back to that one of those early games was in Miami where, like, he was refusing to, they wanted to get him the ball in a post up against a smaller player, and he just stood in the corner and he refused to come out. And then, like, Joe Prunty's yelling at him and his, like, team, I don't know, I think multiple players were like, what are you doing? Like, he called timeout yeah. immediately. Um, and that, I think, kind of was like a, set the tone for a lot of very awkward interactions. Jabari Parker kind of just, like, kind of not caring like like he laughed more on court than i think i've ever seen jabari parker laugh and some of it was just and it it was kind of interesting it was a lot of it was like kind of like a eh, whatever kind of like you know like like he would laugh when things went well he would be kind of detached when things didn't go well he wasn't hustling probably more than even usual from him um and there were multiple cases i mean i think back to the game in la where he could not hit a shot but he actually was defending reasonably well and there were a couple plays where you know Giannis threw him like a bounce pass and he wanted a lob and he was like gesturing and saying, you know, and and kind of like showing up Giannis a little bit. And then he was supposed to run to the short corner and he cut baseline and Giannis threw a ball out of bounds. And they were really, they were not pleased. I mean, you, it looked like Giannis basically mouthed to Prunty, like, coach, you like, you got to get him out of the game. Like, yeah. I mean, they were, they were going at it. And, and again, like Giannis is not really the kind of guy that, I, I can really think of having sort of like on-court issues with with teammates. Um, obviously, he, he yelled at Sean Sweeney that time in Utah, but um, there seemed to be kind of obvious friction with Jabari. And there, you know, Giannis was not the only one. And and again, like when Jabari then basically mails in the first two games in Boston and gets essentially you know benched for for long portions of those games, um, he clearly felt like he should have been starting anyway, but hadn't really shown. I think a reason for them to start him um, just for fit reasons. And, you know, 
Giannis basically said what was before game three was just basically like you just got to I mean more maybe not quite so regular it's basically you just got to shut up and play and you know I think the more you hear the more you probably think that it was probably not a coincidence that the Bucks basically talked, didn't talk about Jabari Parker at all this summer, whether it was Budenholzer or Horst or whatever. When people would talk, or Peter Fagan on NBA TV the other day, nobody would talk about Jabari Parker in terms of what they liked about the team, and it just felt like the team itself probably had moved on to a large extent. And Budenholzer, obviously coming in, didn't have any loyalty to Jabari Parker either. So, you know, again, I just think that probably was pretty crucial the last couple of months of the season, just in terms of setting the table for where we are today, where I don't think, I, again, I'm sure a lot of the guys on the team probably liked Jabari personally, but in terms of a guy that they wanted to play with and felt they could trust and, you know, to kind of go out there and lean on and defend with you and do all those things. Like, I, I don't think a lot of those guys are going to be sad to see Jabari Parker go, which again is sad because I think it, there's a long narrative that i think got us here yeah and i think where we started here with jason kidd is really a large part of it and i think there's there's a, there's a number of moments that kind of stick out obviously there's the larry drew at the jabari press conference and at the moment he didn't even know it but ownership was talking to the nets about the possibility of bringing in Jason Kidd and and having him go and i do think as you you try to kind of parse through all of this i get i think it will be impossible to separate Jason Kidd from Jabari Parker because i just think as you look through what happened at every turn there's going to kind of be Jason Kidd right because in his first couple of years, you're wondering, oh, can Jabari shoot? It's weird that he's not shooting threes. Why is he not shooting threes? Oh, because Jason Kidd told him not to. And, oh, did that hurt his development? Did that mean he wasn't the player that he could become? And you can see in that moment that you're starting to have some of that dissension. You're starting to have some of that, I think, largely that distrust, right? There there was just not a – I don't know if there was a moment after those first two years where Jabari really truly – trusted Jason Kidd and uh, I think one of the other moments that stick out and uh, obviously at some point five years from now ten years from now whatever we'll do a post-mortem and try to figure out exactly what went wrong or what went right in Milwaukee and when you think about things that went wrong you obviously think of the summer of 2016 where you signed that that whole crew of mid-level contracts to Plumley to Teletovich to Delhi, uh, you extend John Henson all for that ten million dollar range, and that's a big moment. But I almost think when we really start to look back at it, it's not going to be the summer of sixteen that sticks out. It's going to be the summer of seventeen. And when you think about kind of what happened with the general manager search, where you have everything kind of go sideways, you you have a plan in place, and then uh, you have an owner step in with his governorship seat and says, no, that's not what we're doing. We're going to go in this direction. And then you get John Horst. But the other thing that I think a lot of people end up forgetting about that summer, because obviously the GM stuff is huge, was the Bucks almost got rid of Jason Kidd. They, they, it went to meetings. The, they, there was the report from Brian Windhorst that it was 50-50. And there was kind of a a spot of that summer where they might have got rid of Jason Kidd. And to me, I think 
you're going to watch Jabari Parker this season and wonder, no matter what happens, if it goes well in Chicago, if it doesn't go well, you're going to be thinking like, oh, this is what the Bucks could have found out this last year. And, and don't you think finding out some of those answers would have just been so significant for this Bucks team? Like just seeing him away from Jason Kidd and away from Jason Kidd's staff, because I think all of those things linger that getting rid of Jason Kidd didn't mean you actually excised all those demons. He, he It was still going to be there. <laughs> like he, he felt whether it was Joe Prunty or Sean Sweeney or whoever might be on the staff, like that was Jason Kidd's staff. And he felt a certain way about those people because he had lost trust in them. And the Bucks just didn't give him a chance to prove himself without either Jason Kidd or the cloud of Jason Kidd hanging over him. And I just think whatever happens next for him in his career, I I don't know if it's going to give us a lot of answers, but it is going to give us a little bit of clarity about, you know, what player Jabari Parker is, what could he become? And when you look back at that summer of 17, it wasn't just the GM stuff. Like it's also the fact that they let Jason Kidd go one more year. They ended up firing him midway through it, but they made that decision that, you know what, we're going to try it one more time with Jason and see if it works. And because of that, you didn't get a chance to, see what Jabari Parker is without Jason Kidd, and you didn't get a chance to repair that relationship. You didn't get a chance to regain his trust, and you just built on an, on, an, on a relationship that wasn't good for those three and a half years with Jason Kidd, and in that final half of the season, you didn't get a chance to build anything and, and to repair anything. And I just think when you look back on it, you can't separate Jabari from Jason, from Jason Kidd. Like, those two will go hand in hand, uh, not literally because they would never want to do that because they would never want to see each other because they don't like each other, but uh, figuratively they will go hand in hand because you will have to be thinking about those two and how Jason Kidd affected Jabari Parker's career. Yeah, and I mean, unfortunately, you know, in a lot of ways, when once Jabari tore the second ACL, I mean, that when we talked about it even at the time, right, like the timing, well, there's no good timing for tearing an ACL for the second time, but the timing was was really difficult from an you know an asset management standpoint because Jabari's coming back at the All Star break this past season like he's his any value he has is going to be severely limited coming back from a second ACL uh, as a trade asset and then you basically have only a really short window in which to figure out like well how does he fit with the rest of this team what are we even willing to pay him and I mean the flip side is if the Bucks really wanted to keep Jabari Parker. It was an opportunity to obviously get him at a lower cost or fewer years, which obviously is what happened. I wouldn't say they got and you know the Bulls got him for a lower cost, um, but obviously there was an opportunity to get him for reduced risk. And I think you know, like you were saying earlier, I think I think from a Bulls perspective, it's like it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, they can just not pick up his team option next year and they can still have a ton of cap space and move on, right? And he's not going to like win them a bunch of games this year, right? I mean, he'll probably put up some numbers and. You know, you hope he kind of makes strides, and he's a the guy they want to keep. But, um, but for the most part, I I think it's a totally fine gamble for them, given how little risk there is. Um, and for the Bucks, obviously, again, I I think it's even less about the money in a lot of ways, and just about like kind of moving on um, in, in a lot of ways. And as, let me kind of keep going through things we can be mad about. Um, you know, I someone someone tweeted at us like recently it was like, well, why you guys never even talk about the possibility of Jabari coming back on like a kind of team friendly deal? Why why is that or isn't wouldn't that be a positive thing? And it's it's true. Like we we really pretty much only talked about sign and trades, losing him for nothing, or the qualifying offer. And 
obviously I think that was mostly informed by kind of what we were just describing, right? Just so the poisoning of the well with Parker and the organization and, and probably the locker room to some extent, right? In terms of like the on-court dynamics. Um, but I will say this, I mean, the Bucks poker strategy, like there was, I mean, the fact that the Bulls gave him a $20 million contract suggests that clearly the Bulls put, put some value on him, right? Like he's not going off, if he had signed the qualifying offer, then you could say, well, there wasn't really a market for him or, you know, or whatever. But the fact that he ultimately traded for, or signed for something means that clearly there's, there's some interest in him, right? And I'd be curious how many other teams were were willing to do what the Bulls did with the, right. maybe the Kings because they're the yeah. Kings, but well, that, that, and, it's got to be those two teams, right? Yeah, and that's what's kind of baffling to me too. It's like, did Sacramento like was there enough competition that the Bulls had to offer that much money? Because I'm very confused it, by it. Yeah, because like it it doesn't feel like the Bucks or the Bulls needed to offer twenty million dollars, but I don't know, right? Well, whatever. That's that's their problem. But um, but yeah, I think. When you think about like we, we talked about how difficult the needle it was going to be to thread the getting value out of a sign and trade. I think we hopefully warned people that, you know, you're not going to get a lot of value. Right. We talked about maybe you could use it as a salary dump. Maybe you get some player who's, you know, overpaid but still productive out of it. Um, but I think ultimately, obviously, the Bucks getting nothing, you know, showed that, um, you know, if, if if a very shrewd front office might have been able to, to extract something this one could not and you know i i think let's just say this i wouldn't put money on the bucks in a game of poker because again i i get that the franchise was moving on but the fact that they like telegraph that so i think obviously to the rest of the league um i mean that's not helping that's i mean that's not helping you potentially extract value um in a in a sign and trade and i know that you can't just say like oh we're going to match any offer sheet like the league doesn't allow that anymore but like every conversation that guys you know until john horse was asked directly about it on the nba tv interview like every conversation like bud on the woge podcast fagan and the nba tv interview, like they run down these long list of players in the roster they don't even mention that oh yeah like there's this there's this guy that like you know we're supposed to act like you know we value him in order to like at least keep up the appearance that maybe a team would think you might match something and therefore you might have to assign and trade so again i think the bucks if there was any value i don't think these guys were ever going to be the guys to maximize the opportunity to get it and you know again i i don't think you know we talked about the lopez signing being a very shrewd one the elias signing being a very not shrewd signing and i think this would certainly fall into the like yeah these guys are are not playing seven-dimensional chess right now and again you hope that better decisions come up and i think they deserve a lot of credit for just moving on you know i think i think they do deserve credit for for deciding you know what we're not going to just throw a ton of money at Jabari Parker given we don't know how he was really going to fit with this team and this is just so much of a commitment um so I give them credit for that but I also would say yeah I mean I know it would have been hard to salvage value at this point but bottom line you didn't you got nothing and obviously you know it, it's very true like part of the issue with that was that you know you don't have a bunch of cap space you can now go sign other guys with you basically have minimum contracts you have a three point uh i think four million dollar trade exception you can use um but essentially you know you're you're any other moves around this roster you know you could have paid Jabari a lot of money you can't pay anybody else a lot of money at this point given what you've committed to Elisova and lopez which again i'm, I'm not going to say like oh they should have gone and paid jabari 20 million dollars but um you know the end result is they lose a guy 
don't get anything in return, and now they have pretty limited flexibility to maybe add uh, another piece at the end of the roster. To me, it it's about the effort given, right? Because when people continue to hit up my mentions and say and, and ask, why are you so down on the Urson contract? Like he's going to contribute all this stuff, and like the reason we were so down on it was because, it, and I said it this, I said it that night was. You're playing poker with everyone else, and you just showed them your hand. That's what the Bucks did at 12:01. And again, was this going to be the outcome that they wanted? Was the outcome to get a guy that they trusted in Urson and get good low, like get good value out of Lopez? Yeah, probably. Like that was probably the goal. Like, hey, we know we're not going to bring Jabari back at whatever number people throw out next year, so. We, we can plan for other things, but plan for those other things. Don't tell everyone you're going to do those other things. <laughs> like, like I, to me, that was the biggest thing. And I just thought it was a poorly played game of poker. And again, even if you play the poker hand perfectly, you could have gotten nothing. Like it, it could have happened that you got absolutely nothing for Jabari Parker. But if you're the Chicago Bulls and you're interested in Jabari Parker and you see that the Bucks can't really get to 20 million without doing some creative cap gymnastics how much are you going to believe it when they say oh i don't know if i'd do that because we're going to match you're not going to believe it there'd be no reason to believe it because they put themselves in a position where they couldn't do that without making significant moves and i'm not saying significant moves as moving someone significant but a lot of moves they would have had to do a lot to find a way to match that and i just think it was it was poorly played and i think that's something that whether or not getting something for jabari parker was realistic the bucks immediately took their chances of getting something for jabari parker down and right. they yep. did it right away at 1201 they let everyone know hey we're not really that interested. And like you said, like you can't publicly say, oh, yeah, we're going to match every offer now. But as everyone knows, tampering happens in the league. Everyone knows. So it, the fact that on Friday night, before any of this could be reported, that you and I were hearing whispers and Woj reported it, that the Bucks aren't going to match any offer. And we didn't even know the numbers at that point. <laughs> we, we didn't know what it was. We didn't know if it was two for 40. We didn't know if it was a one plus one. We didn't know if it was two for 20. We didn't have any idea. And Woj could already report Parker's camp is not thinking the Bucks are going to match this offer. Like that that's a problem. You're not playing a game of poker where you could possibly get an asset there. And again, I don't, I wouldn't say the market for Jabari Parker was robust. I think there was probably a couple teams out there that were willing to make a, a questionable decision, uh, a risky decision, let's say, uh, in signing Jabari Parker for $20 million. Like I, I think, as I said, it might have been the Bulls and the Kings, but at least with those two teams, they've been known to get taken advantage of. They're not <laughs> the sharpest teams out there. They're not the most well-run organizations. So if you can at least pretend to be interested – Maybe you you find a way to get off John Henson. Maybe you find a way to uh, move him for I don't even know 
Robin Lopez. <laughs> like you, you find a way to get even the most marginal asset. You find a way because you've played your poker hand right and you've put pl- you've put on a good poker face, and that's just not something the Bucks did here. Yeah, and and you know I think we've talked about um, how the resolution of this deal uh, was was going to say a lot about you know sort of the John Torst era moving forward and um, I don't know I mean now the again that's one one fewer uh, one you know one one more asset that you don't have in the cupboard and again maybe it was not really an asset maybe it was a limited value asset or whatever but um, the Bucks have wasted a lot of assets on the margins I would say you know I mean like you know stuff like the Tyler Zeller deal right which I think we talked we've talked about how we actually like Tyler Zeller on the court um but you know especially if they end up and they don't have to at this point but I mean if they ended up for instance releasing Tyler Zeller it's like well you just gave away a second round pick for like a few hundred minutes of Tyler Zeller on the court last last spring right (laughs) which is just you know again it's just that that's not that's just not how you get ahead in in the NBA. So it's, um, so yeah, it's tough. And actually, so um, that that kind of segues a bit into um, uh, another reason that you can be mad, uh, which you mentioned Ur- Ursan Ilyasova. And the optimist might say, well, now that you know you you aren't overpaying Jabari Parker, hey, you're glad to have Ursan Ilyasova. That is that is true, right? Like yeah. Ursan Ilyasova is a useful NBA player. We've talked about how. Um, he can play a useful role on this team. Um, so that's true. But, again, that doesn't mean that giving him $14 million guaranteed in two years at 12.01 uh, or 11.01 Central Time uh, on July 1st made, or sorry, 11.01 Central Time on June 30th, technically, um, made, really made much sense because, you know, you look at the Bucks' flexibility next year, it's like well, one of the main upsides of not paying Jabari Parker and keep in mind, this would actually giving him a one plus one would actually have not cut into your potential next year flexibility. So that that's important to, to acknowledge as well. But but not even having Jabari in the picture, you know, the the Bucks actually are are in worse in a worse cap position next summer than if they had actually kept Jabari Parker on the same contract that that the Bulls gave him, right? Because yep. they don't have an obligation in the 1920 season with Jabari Parker. Granted, you know, uh, $20 million here is, is, is kind of a crooked number, but the Bucks are going to owe Ursan $7 million in the 1920 season. And that's actually a pretty big number when you look at the Bucks cap flexibility, because when you kind of do the math on the Bucks cap flexibility next year, I mean, again, like I, I generally have been assuming that, you know, okay, if you want to think about like what the Bucks can do with like signings, like you'd probably say, okay, Eric Bledsoe's, uh, or, uh, an unrestricted free agent, but you'd have bird rights. But still, if you want to maximize flexibility, you assume, okay, re- renounce his rights, you go after somebody else. Chris Middleton, you presume he's opting out. He'll have a $19.5 million cap hold. I assume you do not want to let Chris Middleton walk regardless, so I'll keep him in there. Um, Thon Maker, I'm going to, again, assume his, his team option gets picked up this fall um, for next year. Um, and then, you know, even if you assume DJ Wilson is wiped out and Mirza Toledovic is wiped out in terms of um, of his uh, obligation in terms of um, you know the the uh, medical retirement likely happening and, and him being taken off the cap in November, you're still talking about like maybe 15 million in in cap space, um, and again like 
and, and I'm also not including the, a first round pick that that obviously they may well have next year as well. To, you know, presumably they, they will, um, which would take another couple million bucks likely off of that. So, you know, let's say you're at 13 million in cap space next summer. Well, guess what? It could have been 20 million if you just hadn't given Arsene Sofa a second guaranteed year. And so, you know, even when the Bucks sort of think ahead and then make a, you know, let's say a reasonable decision with Jabari to, to kind of part ways, um, they still ended up shooting themselves in the foot with with the Ursan contract, which again, like, how is just, it two years long? Yeah. How, when you saw what happened in the rest of free agency, and how many one year deals were signed, and, and even a, a bunch of the two year deals are signed, are team options. There's so many one-year deals out there. There's so many people that want to get back into the 2019 free agency. And even the two-year deals have team options. And how the Bucks managed to give him a two plus one is beyond me because it is just something that the market did not dictate in any way. And before free agency, I had talked about how, you know, it might be exciting when you look at, when you look at these free agents, you know, maybe you get a good two-year deal, like a two-year, $8 million deal for someone. You steal someone for $4 million this year, and that's going to be a great value next year when those prices go back up. That was what they did with Urson was not that. For $7 million, that is not what I was talking about. That That is not getting a steal. That is actively tying up more money for a player that you just feel comfortable with. And it's the it's, it's very similar to the Tyler Zeller deal. Um, in that, you know, don't, you don't, you don't want to give up assets and you don't want to give up a lot of money for, I don't know, anyone below the seventh or eighth spot on your roster. Like you should just, just be targeting skills. Don't target specific players. And then you don't give up those things. And I just, yeah, looking at that Ursan contract, I, I think you can still be mad at it. And I know there is this kind of backlash. Um, I'm trying to think who, the dunkedonization of uh, NBA discussion. I saw years, people, years, not dollars. Yeah, I, I always see people, you know, get really frustrated with, oh, you're not even talking about players anymore. You're just talking about contracts. But the the reason why we talk about the contracts and do all of this is because it matters so much. Like, there, there's no splitting those things up. So, yeah, I, I think you can still be mad about the Ursan contract. And yeah, you can send it to my mentions because I know you will because. A lot of people get upset when I go after the Urson contract being bad because he's a good player. Whatever, I don't care. It's a bad contract, and I think you can still be mad about it. Yeah, it, it was it was sort of a no win either way. I mean, it hard capped the box. It it basically put it, it basically signaled you know from a poker standpoint, it signaled the Bucks being very open to being put in a position where they couldn't match Jabari Parker. Um, it. And again, like even with Jabari Parker leaving, even if you you know are fine with Jabari Parker leaving, um, it's just again like from a flexibility standpoint, like you don't you don't need to give a guy like that two years. And again, he could be a very useful player next year, you know, the year the year after this coming one as well. Um, but again, and and, I, and and keep in mind too, I am not someone who thinks that cap space is going to be the path to glory for the Milwaukee Bucks. Like I, again, I I don't really. History suggests that that's very difficult, you know, especially for the Bucks to properly leverage their cap space in smart ways. They just haven't done it. Um, so I'm not saying that like, oh, the $20 million versus $13 million or whatever is the difference between being a title contender and not. 
but flexibility is good. And you know what? You could probably yeah. you could get Urson or his equivalent probably for for you know um, for for uh, less money, right? Or at least the option of of knowing what else you could do going into next summer. So, so yeah, it's um, that Urson deal still not great. Um, so I'm ready to let's turn it I, around. Let's turn I, it around, I was, Frank. I was gonna say so things not to be mad about. We've hit, we've hinted at some of these things. I mean, the the most obvious one to me is don't be mad about the Bucks thinking Jabari Parker isn't worth paying twenty million dollars per year. And the the structure of the deal blunts some of this in the sense that the Bulls have taken on I think very little risk, right? Especially from yep. their perspective, being a rebuilding team. Um, and and I think the be- the best argument um, to me. Against uh, the Bucks and 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 for the idea of keeping Jabari as well, if you could have gotten Jabari on a one plus one for twenty million dollars, like who cares if you're paying twenty million dollars? Like you know, ownership, you go figure out your tax bullshit. Like you know, not our problem, right? That's a and that's totally fine, right? I mean, I as as fans, I don't think we should necessarily feel obligated to worry about the bottom line of of owners. Um, and and obviously, like we said. Jabari Parker is going to be made, has less money guaranteed in the 1920 season than Ursan Sofa, sadly. Um, so it's not like that the contract he got from Chicago would have been this crippling thing. I think really this ties back to Jabari's presence and the chemistry and the appetite for him coming back um, from both sides, just not being there, I don't think, given just everything that's happened in the history. Um, but I think just in general, still. I'd say twenty million dollars for Jabari Parker is just that's an overpay, and I think at this point, um, you know, again, I think one of the big reasons why I I have kind of moved on from Jabari Parker for really for quite some time now, as we've been talking about this, is um, I just I just don't see how he really fits beyond sort of that six man scorer role, and you know, again, because Chris Middleton and Giannis are your starting forwards. Um, I mean, do you need another? scorer in that group right like i think he is best suited in kind of the role he was in last year and i know that they've they've played together in the the i think it was 15 16 that that second year when um jabari came back after the injury and he kind of found his rhythm after the all-star break but you know Giannis and Giannis in particular is a, is a higher usage player than he was then and you know we saw i mean the bucks were a good offense this year and they also have you know eric bledsoe rather than michael carter williams uh at point guard and bledsoe is a much better scorer than than mcw ever was so you know, again, just what are you really what are you really willing to invest in another forward when you have a superstar forward and you have or superstar, you know, sort of four or five type guy and you have Chris Middleton who I mean, let's be honest, like I don't think Jabari's ever gonna be as good, as impactful as Chris Middleton already is. Um, I, I don't. Yep. I mean, he'd have to score so many points to, to to be more valuable than Chris Middleton. He'd have to become or or just become just a totally different defensive player um and and so again i think that's part of the part of the issue there um so let me, let me pause there because i have a couple other ones but it, let me pause so let you can you can jump in there if you have anything to add yeah i mean i i think it's a good thing that the milwaukee bucks are not paying 20 million dollars for someone who's been uh i don't want to say bad but a not impactful player during his time thus far in the nba like if you're paying him 20 million dollars that's a projection that is a hope. That is a guess. That is blind optimism, right? Like at this point, we saw Jabari Parker, even in the season when he had 26 and 2, 
um, which at this point has been a little ways away, um, has been a second ACL tear ago, um, has been almost a year, over a year ago. Um, he, he, he wasn't impactful. He was just, he was scoring, which, which again can be a, a talent. And I'm someone who has said scoring is a skill. Um, and uh, I will not really back down on, you know, the fact that Eric Bledsoe was impactful last year because he was doing those things. Uh, but I just think it, it is ultimately a good thing not to pay extra for someone who just hasn't produced. And uh, again, that's a really hard thing for people to uh, deal with. Like, I just think Jabari Parker, the number two pick, was gone the first time he tore his ACL. Jabari Parker, number two pick, was doubly gone the second time he tore his ACL. Like, he's not the number two pick anymore. He is a guy uh, who plays on the team who still might have some potential, but the potential he had to be a superstar is not the same as it was when you drafted him. It's not yeah. there anymore. Like it, it, he still might be a star at some point, but when we were talking about you know Wiggins and Parker and who you want, like we were talking about Jabari Parker being a number one guy on an NBA Finals winning team. Do you feel confident in that anymore? I don't. Do you feel confident in saying he's a number two on an NBA Finals winning team? I don't feel confident in that anymore. Could he be a three? I think he could be a three. He could be a number three on somebody's NBA Finals championship winning team. And again, maybe this is because I'm a little bit more uh, conservative in my hypothetical spending as a GM, but I'm not paying a number three on my team 20 mil. Just not, not going to be how it goes. And not even a guy that I know can be a number three. Then maybe then maybe I'd pay 20 mil for it. But if I don't know this guy's a number three, I don't know if this guy can contribute to winning basketball, I don't want to pay him 20 mil. So to me, I think something definitely not to be mad about, not paying Jabari Parker. Don't be mad about that. Because I think if you just look at it in the vacuum of this player, his name isn't Jabari Parker. He wasn't picked number two overall for the Bucks. He didn't go to Duke. He wasn't one of the top high school players. He is just player X who put together these four years, played this many games, missed this many games with injury. That player, player X, is not worth $20 million next year. And it's good that the Bucks are not paying him $20 million next year. Yeah, and you, you covered off, I think, another big point for, for things not to be mad about, right? I think... Um, and I think this is, I think there, like I mentioned, there is a very substantive point around, well, you know, we talked about Jabari's big cap hold and now obviously he's going to make a lot of money, basically his cap hold, right? 20 million bucks. And you can't go spend that money on, on other players, right? Like that, that's important to understand. Um, that's important. And I think the, the, there's kind of a related argument that I've seen from some people, which is, you know, the bucks have, have very little cap flexibility and, Keeping Parker and kind of betting that maybe Parker figures it out is, um, you know, basically the best gamble you can use with your limited flexibility to maybe find that that other star player to to, to play with Giannis. And I would agree. You were alluding to it, right? That or just straight up talking about it, not really alluding to it. Um, Jabari is not the guy. I think. I think sometimes when I see some comments about this, it, it seems like people still treat Jabari like he's has the same hype and upside 
and potential as the guy that that was drafted in 2014. And now we know too much, right? We know that he's got a twice surgically repaired or repaired knee. We know that he's I, I don't know, like seemingly a incorrigible defender, right? He hasn't he just hasn't figured it out. Um, we've seen at least like like flashes in the playoffs last year that maybe he can engage himself better. Um, but fundamentally, he's he's going to be a negative defender always. You know, I think that that seems obvious. And I mean, I think I think yeah, I think Jabari and Giannis, but also Jabari. And people always talk about Jabari and Giannis, but I think Jabari, Giannis, and Chris is really sort of like also kind of the broader discussion. Like again, how much money do you want to invest in a third combo forward? Like, is there any third combo forward that you would? You know, like which combo forwards would you pay twenty million dollars a year to, um, to 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 finish with these guys, right? And is that the way that you're going to build your roster? And I mean, certainly, like if Kevin Durant's available, if LeBron James is available, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll I'll figure it out, right? Like yep. those guys, yes, I will I will spend the money and figure it out. Um, but for Jabari, and even for you know, we talked about like Aaron Gordon, right? I like Aaron Gordon. Um, I think Julius Randle's a good player. I don't think those guys, and they're a little different necessarily maybe than Jabari in terms of positional fit and things like that, and they do different things, but like all those guys are would be really hard to fit as like the third dude yeah. with with Jabari and Chris. And you could say, well, why why are we elevating Chris to franchise cornerstone? Well, he's on the roster. It works pretty well. Um, and it works in ways certainly that, that Jabari didn't with, with those guys, right? And also and Jabari, F, F you, we'll do what we want. It's our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so um so again, I, I think just, you know the assets you have obviously like are you know, you don't want to underestimate them. You don't want to just throw them on the junk heap when you can't replace them. Um, and that's I think definitely a, a talking point for letting Jabari Parker walk, especially on a deal that doesn't require a multi year kind of massive commitment. Um but again, I just think with Middleton ascending into this role, with Giannis being way better than certainly um, Jabari was ever going to be, um, y- you know, in general, like the long-term future was never going to be Jabari being the other kind of like massively paid guy. And again, like if you like whatever version of Jabari you think is your best version, I mean, I think I don't know what it is that that people sort of envision. Like, right? Is it like that he could go be a twenty-five point per game score somewhere or something like that? I mean, he's never going to do that with with Giannis and Chris. Nope. Um, and and especially in Bledsoe or a guy who can score like Bledsoe, right? Another point guard. And I think you do need a point guard who can give you at least fifteen to seventeen points a game in the modern NBA. I don't think you can just have like some guy who never shoots. You know, I don't think a Rondo type point guard is like the answer here either. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that that's just problematic. And I think a big dividing line on people who are sort of moving on from Jabari Parker and people who are really angry about giving up on Jabari Parker is is just like there's a big difference between just how good you think Jabari Parker can actually be and I think that to me is always the starting point really for any of these discussions about what Jabari Parker should be and what he should be paid and I guess maybe we should have brought it up earlier but but um again I I just at the point and I realized his injuries kind of make it harder to figure out playing for Jason Kidd basically his entire tenure makes it harder to figure out um but I I just yeah, I just don't see. I mean, could he be like a fringe all-star type guy? Well, if he was on a good enough team, but I don't. I don't feel like he again. Like, I don't feel like he's going to be one of the best players on like an actually really good team. It's so fun. I it's, think the opposite. Like, I think I. I don't think he's an all. I don't think he's a fringe all-star on a really good team. I, no, he, no, yeah, he'd have to be a fringe I, all-star on a bad team. He'd yeah, have to be he, the man on that but, bad but team. He, 
Right, but then you don't get into all-star games if you're on bad teams. Correct. That, that was my point. Yeah. yeah. He can put the only place he's going to put up like those all-star numbers I think is going to be on a bad team. Yep. And at that point it's like, well, then you don't really get into the all-star game if you're on a bad team. So it's <laughs> yeah. so it's hard. And again, like I don't want to close the book on Jabari and act like oh there's like no way he can ever get better or whatever because offensively certainly he can continue to grow and he has a, a good base of skills um but you know again like man he's a tough guy to fit in the modern nba with the defensive issues and all these things um okay as, my as last... i was gonna say with that i, I heard uh, i think it was ricky o'donnell talking about it a little bit uh last night when the news first came out but it when you think i think a lot of people here it's tough to fit Jabari in the modern NBA or whatever and think what are you talking about you're crazy like he is athletic he can do all these different things but one thing Ricky mentioned was like the idea of the guy that just goes out and scoring being one of your best players like it's kind of gone like that's not how the NBA works anymore like back in the day you could have I'm trying to think like a guy like Kevin Martin who just filled it up and you know what that ended up being a good player but for cra- for crappy teams, mostly. Yeah, for yeah. crappy teams. But like yeah. at the same time, like now teams aren't even valuing guys that can yeah. just score because you have to be able to handle a defensive scheme. You have to be able to switch some. You have to be able to make passes and be a part of a greater system when offenses get bogged down because that's all kind of what happens here. And I don't want to say he's uh, like the NBA has passed him by because he can still find a role, but the role that you know, a maximized Jabari Parker would have served six to eight years ago. Like, I don't think that role exists quite as much as it used to in the NBA. No, I agree. I mean, um, I think like when you just think about guys who maybe aren't great defensively, um, you know, like a, a James Harden would be an obvious guy or a Russell Westbrook. Right. But, but there you're talking about guys who run an offense and who are the fulcrum of, you know, both scoring and passing and playmaking in, in ways that, you know, a wing, a wing or combo forward just isn't. Um, and we've seen, I mean, I, it would be interesting to see what, what Carmelo Anthony, um, like a 25 year old sort of 20 to 27 year old Carmelo, like prime Carmelo. Um, cause I mean the, the Nuggets won a lot of games when Carmelo was there and it would be interesting to see kind of like how that might be different today if, if they would be less successful. Obviously the, the current version of Carmelo has been, just massively devalue the last couple of years. And, and yeah. certainly, you know, he's a guy, if you're going to draw parallels to somebody like Jabari, you know, there's, there's maybe some, some similarities there. I mean, it was kind of funny. I remember when Jabari was a prospect and thinking like, people were like, Oh, well, like they, some people like thought it was an insult to compare him to Carmelo. And it's like, Carmelo was like an insanely like high volume scorer, which I believe is a skill. And maybe he wasn't always super efficient, but Carmelo was a really good player. He just, that type of player isn't, as you said, it just doesn't tend to be the kind that that like you can build championship worthy teams around. And they they got close, I think, to beating the the Lakers. What in one was it the West semis or the, maybe in the West finals one year? But um, yeah, I mean, it's just again that player archetype. Sorry. I think has always been has always been maybe overrated, even yeah. going back to like the Glenn Robinson era. But I think especially now today, just that that's a harder archetype to really turn into something that that meaningfully affects the game. I was gonna say one more thing there too if Jabari is going to eventually be that guy, like he should also, you know, become hyper efficient at some point. Like he's had moments of high efficiency, but like if you're going to be that kind of score, like you, you really gotta, you gotta find a way. Right. And I think that would mean adding more volume from the three. That would mean getting to the line more. Um, like just like, if you look at the ways that he scores compared to how Giannis scores, like you're going to take the way Giannis scores 
a million times out of a million because there's just more efficiency to be had there. So like Jabari's still, even in the ways that he's supposed to be very good, like as a scorer, I still think he's flawed in some ways as a scorer still. Yeah, and I think um, certainly if he, I think the one of the big questions obviously was if he gets into a system that actually tries to get him to shoot threes. And that was yeah. one thing we saw late the season. I think like, you know, we've been kicking dirt on kind of what he did this year. And again, I mean, coming off an ACL injury, right? We know he wasn't going to be his, his best version of himself coming back from the ACL injury. He certainly played much better coming straight away from the ACL injury this year than his first time back where it took him a while to really even show sparks of the scoring that that we saw, I think, for, for longer stretches this year. Um, but we actually saw him like step back and take a dribble back to shoot a three-pointer rather yeah. than shoot a long two, which I think was really important. And it's something that, you know, certainly for his development will be important he continues to do because he certainly certainly has that ability um so so yeah um the last one i wanted to point out was um i've seen this also opinion going around that the bad deals that the bucks gave out to the likes of henson and and del vadova like that's the reason why the bucks aren't bringing back jabari parker and or or like kind of it's it's close cousin is the well, if you give all these mo- if you give money to those guys, then it's crazy that you wouldn't give you know a more, but not significantly more to to Jabari Parker. And I mean, this sort of gets into the sunk cost fallacy stuff as well. Like just because you know the, the latter thing, like just because you overpaid Delavadova and Henson doesn't mean that you know in today's market you should do the same for other guys. Obviously, that's Exhibit A, right? Like don't throw you know more money into somebody just because you feel obligated to because they're a number two pick um you have to i think just view it as well what is this player worth going forward forget his pedigree um but also just like the idea that like oh well if they if they hadn't signed delvadova and henson that therefore jabari parker would still be a buck they could have they could have given jabari parker a very large contract they could have given him a longer term contract certainly longer than the bulls are committing right like to beat the deal that jabari got was very doable for the Bucks, but it's just obvious the Bucks did not want to do that. And I think it's clear that as an organization, and again, I think a lot of this probably, uh, yeah, I don't know if it changed dramatically, but I think what we saw at the end of the season, the friction around the playoffs, and even though he did come back and had some really good moments, I, I think a lot of people just sort of felt like, you know what? We don't need this dude, right? Like, I like we don't want to deal with this guy, especially if you don't think he can be a starter or that he doesn't fit well as a starter with this team. Um, you know, are you going to pay him twenty million dollars even for one year to be a starter, to be a bench guy when he clearly doesn't think he's a bench guy, right? I mean, that's just a really difficult thing to fit in. And so, I think I, I think I would be just to try to be very clear. I don't the Bucks. Jabari Parker is not a buck because the Bucks just don't value Jabari Parker anymore. Um, and again, we can debate some of the specifics and debate what Jabari Parker might still become. But at that point, I think it's just a lot of different, a lot of it just comes down to different perspectives and different beliefs and what he is and what he might be. Um, but I think again, it's not a case where the Bucks thought that he was some future star and well, we just, man, too bad. We just spent too much money on other guys, right? If they really believed that they wouldn't have given her son two guaranteed years at yep. midnight hard capping themselves or effectively hard capping themselves. Um, they wouldn't have made these other moves. Um, but they did because I think, you know, at some point between late in this, you know, some point between when he came back and, um, and this summer, I think it just solidified for them that, you know what, we think we're going a different direction. And I think it's fascinating if he had gotten like a $12 million a year offer, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated to know what the bucks would have done. 
what was the what was the number at which the Bucks might have actually matched or or not you know not been willing to rescind the qualifying offer um, because they would have said you know what we'll just keep them even if it's just as like you know view them as like an asset or something like that but um, again it's uh, we'll never know at this point um, and and obviously the bottom line is. Jabari is is no longer a buck, and um, we'll we'll just have to see kind of how they move forward. But again, I, I I don't think it's a secret that the Bucks have been probably thinking about this world for for a while now, and um, you know I think they can obviously I I don't think it necessarily really even impacts them very much this year. Um, and again, if you don't really buy into the idea of Jabari Parker as being a long term impact player anyway, then it doesn't impact them in the long term either, especially um, given that you're you're not going to be paying a guy like that a lot of money. Yeah, I want to state that a little bit more clearly. The contracts were not a problem. The other contracts, those middling <laughs> ones that obviously we complain about regularly because we're not fans of, um, those contracts weren't a problem. If the Bucks wanted to keep Jabari Parker, they would have kept Jabari Parker. If the Bucks valued Jabari Parker at $20 million a year, they would have kept Jabari Parker. And I, I do think, you know, that can be a little bit tough to reconcile. That can be a little bit tough to swallow that the Bucks don't value him in, in maybe the same way you might as a fan or, you know, in the same way that you would have when he was drafted as a number two overall pick. But th- that's that's the fact of the matter, right? The, this is the Bucks making a clear statement that we don't see a very clear future for Javari Parker here in Milwaukee. We don't see the way that he fits in with our guys. We don't see him being an impact player going forward. And again, those might be ideas that you disagree with vehemently. And that's fine. But with what happened, it's very clear that that's how the Bucks feel. And uh, to me, that that's that's one where, like you said, I've... I've seen a lot of people mad that, oh, it was these other contracts that got in the way. If they want to screw them over themselves over with these contracts, they would have they would have been able to sign Jabari. They would have been they were able to sign Jabari. Like let's just make that clear. They could have signed Jabari. They chose not to sign Jabari. They chose to move in a different direction. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, again, uh, we'll see what the Bucks do for the rest of this summer. Again, there's not not a whole lot for the Bucks kinda to do at this point um when you take jabari out of the out of the equation um they have effectively what i would say they have 14 contracts that are worth keeping they also have brandon jennings which again august 1st is the date they have to make a decision on i i i don't think they should keep brandon jennings regardless i'd rather um add like a combo forward like our dear friend michael beasley who's still available um uh they also have the Tyler Zeller non-guaranteed contract at $1.9 million. They could obviously release Zeller as well, um, given how many centers are on the roster, or they obviously can still make trades. Um, so I would view it as you have one roster spot. Basically, you have a minimum contract essentially to use on it, or you could use that trade exception for some, you know, if, if a team wanted it, uh, wanted to ship you a guy basically um, for nothing who, who doesn't make a lot of money. But, um, but yeah, I, if if the Bucks don't make any big trades, then you'd say the Bucks are more or less done for the summer, but um, I will imagine we'll see some things on the fringes. We obviously um, don't know who the two way guys will be. Um, and uh, I don't know any thoughts. Like what, if you were, if you were John Horst, I'm, I'm, I know we didn't talk about this earlier, but I mean, if you were the front office and you had sort of the roster as it is right now, 
Uh, are there any kind of obvious? And again, we don't necessarily have to even say players. We can use our our skills, not not got not players uh, mantra, or we could pick some guys. But um, are there any obvious moves you would make? I mean, I would say I would, I would cut Jennings immediately, and probably see. I mean, if I could add a guy like like Beasley, I would do that. Um, if I couldn't get a guy like Christian Wood on a two-way contract, which he seems sort of against doing, but again, he may not have a better option. Um, I'd also consider taking a flyer on Wood um, as a 15th guy um, with like maybe like a partial guarantee or something like that. So you get him into camp and you can always maybe waive him for a partial guarantee before January 10th. Um, in that case, if you, if you sign Wood, then maybe you'd also think think longer and harder about waving Zeller just because of a potential positional overlap but um but yeah I don't know I I would feel I, I would love to see them get Beasley and play him real minutes just because I would be so fascinated to see Beasley basically take the sixth man role that Jabari probably otherwise would have had yep. and um and again like I think depending on your perspective Beasley probably gives you anywhere from 80% but maybe more likely 120% of Jabari when you factor in defense and everything so um, so I don't know we'll see hmm I think waving Jennings is a no-brainer and then I want to say trade Henson so that your your center rotation can be Lopez maker and Zeller but then I'd have to yell at myself because I yell at people constantly when they tell me that the Bucks should do that because, well, if the Bucks could do that, they would do that. <laughs> if they could get rid of John Henson without having to give up guys, well, they probably would have done that. And we saw this this past week on Friday night, we saw some contracts get traded. And, yeah, take some assets to do so. Um, so I don't know if that, that looks all that good for John Henson. Um, as far as what what potential weaknesses this roster has, I mean, I don't really see a ton, if I'm being totally honest, because at point guard, I have Bledsoe. At shooting guard, I guess I don't even know what you want to say the Bucks starting lineup would be. Probably Bledsoe, Snell, Middleton, Giannis, Brooke Lopez. Uh, at point guard, I have Deli that can play some point guard. I have Malcolm Brogdon that can play some point guard. I have Dante DiVincenzo, who might possibly be able to play some point guard, but also, he can probably just slot into shooting guard minutes as well. So at shooting guard, I have Tony Snell, Brogdon, and DiVincenzo. At small forward, I have Middleton and Sterling Brown, or maybe Sterling Brown also factors into shooting guard. Uh, and then power forward, I have Giannis in Ursan. And then at center, I have Brooke Lopez with Henson and Maker and Zeller. Like, I, there's not a ton of minutes to be had, I don't really think. Um, yeah. So to me, it's it's probably, like you said, a guy like Bees, you know, if he wants to come back uh, to Milwaukee for the minimum, I think that's something that could work. I think Christian Wood is an interesting one. Uh, and I would agree in the same way. Like, just try to get him into training camp. Like, get one of those partial guarantees and just get him that far and uh, – get a chance to see him in that setting to see how he might be against your own NBA guys. Um, but yeah, I think you're in those spots. I think you probably circle shooting, right? Uh, that's, that's me for anyone that is ever going to play with Giannis from here shoot, on out. Shoot, pass, and defend, right? Like, you got to be able to shoot the ball. Um, pass and defend, those are good things, but I will circle shooting as number one. Uh, so I think 
if you can find a shooter somewhere and then probably on the wing as opposed to a big or a point guard I think in in those two spots you're probably fine so a shooting guard small forward type so I, I think Beasley fits the bill and uh, overall I'm looking for someone that can shoot and someone that's on the wing so that that would be kind of where where I would go uh, now that Jabari Parker has uh, decided to sign with the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, I think um, probably the biggest variable for me at this point is is Bledsoe and and yep. not knowing what Mike Budenholzer really thinks of Eric Bledsoe. Um, I would be very much not in favor of like I feel like people have thrown out this idea of like trying to get Dennis Schroeder from from Atlanta, um, who Budenholzer obviously. While coached. we're there, who, why why do people like Dennis Schroeder? I don't. I. I honestly don't understand. And maybe some of our listeners can let me know on Twitter why. I don't. I don't I think, get it. I think they just. I think they just want want to hear me have to figure out if I'm going to say his name in a German accent or not. <laughs> like every every episode, because if he played for the Bucks, then I'd have to decide that. I usually don't, but I'd have to confront pronouncing his name properly if if that happened. I mean, to me, that's got to be it, right? That's the only reason Dennis Schroeder <laughs> would be of interest to Bucks fans. I would think so, but like I just look at his stats. Like I look at kind of the way he 29% plays like what what is interest in there i it's something i've just kind of, my mind's been boggled the entire off season when i keep seeing people oh now that they have bud they could get shooter they could why would you want that it would, it would be very it would be very easy to get dennis schroeder yes and by the way or, or shall i say schroeder Oh, wow, that's um, that's very, really well done. You leaned in it's really, hard. It's really hard. There's no there's no reason to even try to get people to pronounce it that way. It's like too <laughs> harsh sounding. Like I, Schroeder is fine. Um, but uh, but yeah, I like if if you call up Travis Schlang and say, hey, Eric Bledsoe's expiring contract for Dennis Schroeder, like you know, he'll strap on a jetpack and fly Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> yeah. like that that would be very easy to do because Dennis Schroeder's owed basically more money over like three years left or something like that. Um, and obviously there's very little room for him in Atlanta now in the direction they're going. So, um, yeah, but it's just like, you know, I mean, Schroeder's had some good def- offensive games against the Bucks where he just gets going and gets buckets and stuff like that. Um, but again, like his personality, like, I don't, I don't know if he's exactly a guy. I mean, Budenholzer would know better than any, anybody with the Bucks, obviously, but, um, I don't know if I really trust him, his personality. Um, and, yeah, it's just like why I don't know why. What is like, interesting lock, about him? If someone could tell me what's yeah. interesting about why him, into, why lock into that per se? Um, so, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, again, like especially now, right? Like if if you get in a camp and like Bledsoe's like I don't know, there's some fundamental issue that they hate about Bledsoe, and and they just can't stand him or something. Then then you can always go get Dennis Schroeder for Eric Bledsoe. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, Eric Bledsoe, like we've said, as much as people are frustrated by him. He was actually a productive player. Like he, yep. he's an efficient scorer. Like you know, again, he leaves a lot to be desired. He can be frustrating, but um, and his playoffs, obviously, he obviously really struggled in five of the seven playoff games. But you know, again, like that's, I, I don't know. Like I don't think that means that Dennis Schroeder is somehow like a really, really attractive piece. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Bledsoe question is probably the the most the most obvious one. Um, and and I guess we'll see. Um, I, I also am kind of curious too. I mean. Budenholzer just seems like, as much as he's known for development, it seems like they're not. He doesn't really strike me as a guy who's interested in like taking chances on guys. Um, and I think that's one thing that is disappointing. Like, 
if Jabari Parker, if, if, if for instance, Jabari Parker, if this was two years ago and Jabari Parker was healthy and had two years left on his rookie deal, I would have been fascinated to see what a good coach like Budenholzer could do to really, yep. you know, maximize him. We'll never know, right? Um, and and that's sort of disappointing, right? That we never got the chance to see Jabari with a real coach in Milwaukee. Um, but I also don't know if Budenholzer is the kind of guy who even like wants to screw around with guys who don't play defense or kind of like even a Beasley type who's just kind of a zany but likable guy. Um, yeah. It just seems like their type is pretty narrow, right? Like Ilyasova, Lopez, DiVincenzo, like they're, they're pretty, it's kind of like clearly slot into the like character guy, know their role type players, which, um, you know, again, like that, there there's something certainly to be said for that. But again, like you also would like to see a team like the Bucks also take some shots, especially with some, you know, random dudes at the end of the bench like Christian Wood. Like, yep, yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. I mean, like, is Christian Wood going to become like, you know, a really good starter? No, right. But could he be something that outplays his, you know, a minimum slot significantly? Like, man, yeah, maybe. Um, and you'd hope if you've got such a good development staff that they could actually optimize some of those guys, not just, you know, work with some of the tryhard types. So I don't know. Anyway, I think we've talked for like eight hours at this point. So we have, but while we're here, I still want to say one thing, um, okay. about, I, I have one more thing too, after you're done so about Budenholzer. Um, it is, it is fascinating to me that I believe him to be a good coach. I believe him to be a good developer of talent and yet every time they've signed someone, it is very clear that he wants someone that he can trust and he will know that they will contribute. If that makes any sense. Like it, it, it's tough to line those two things up because they appear to be two very different ideas, right? Like, Oh, I'm great at player development and I'm going to get the most out of all my guys. Okay. So take some chances, but that's not what, he appears to like to do he appears to like to know that he has guys that can contribute and then have them contribute which again is going to help the bucks probably win 50 games this year um the, the lopez will be very helpful as will Ilyasova. but it is weird that you know that the idea of him being a great player developer is there and he's great at development yet there's not really been a, a push to find guys to develop right and one other thing that i'll add that i'm already like preemptively frustrated about is like the issues around assessing jabari parker's value now i don't think are going to go away and you know if jabari parker averages 19 points a game this year nothing has been proven we're gonna we're gonna hear about it and it's gonna be about you know the bucks could have used jabari parker's 19 points a game and you know again like Anyway, so I'm. If if people think Jabari, you know, again, like the the Jabari Parker is a type of player who I think, again, um, not to cast aspersions, but I think the smarter, more analytical you are about basketball, the less you probably value players of Jabari Parker's ilk. And again, he is a you know the the get buckets, score points. PPGZ type guys, um, though, do have uh, probably not among our listener base as much, but the, especially for the casual fan, a lot of people, that's that's sexy, right? People always like guys who, who score. Um, and so I'm, you know, Jabari is almost destined to be a guy who continues to create debates even after he leaves. Because again, I think he'll score. Right? Be yeah. I mean, there's, there's maybe not a ton of basketball to go around in Chicago with, 
with Levine and, and Markin and all those guys there, but um, I'm sure he'll score points if he's starting, right? I'm sure they'll they'll try to really figure out what he can do and give him every chance to, to prove what he can. So, All right, that's going to be it for us for today on this emergency version of uh, – of Lockdown Bucks. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. Thanks for getting all the way to the end of this. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you, I'm not sure when, some other time.